in our world today. There was well over 30 parables in the New Testament that Jesus used in all of them, stories from the culture that they all could identify with. And I believe that movies are something that in our culture today we identify with. And so we're going to use a few movies through the course of this series over the next four to five weeks to be able to kind of teach truths that will really help us. Today is a very important tenet of Christianity uh, that I want to uh, kind of make as vivid and real and relevant to you as possible. And I hope it becomes that to you as we go forward. I'm just going to get right into it with an opening clip. Let me just say this. Um, if, you, if you're concerned for your children, there are some um, uh, graphic, let's just say, images. This is PG-13. And so uh, if you're concerned about that, uh, you, want to, you might want to deal with that right about now. Okay? So um, if you can just dim the lights and we'll just show you our first clip. I can have four new fillets overnight. Oh, no, no, thank you. Uh, what, what is your name again? Ezra, is that right? Yes, sir. I'll just need your first and last name so I can call up your account. You know what? Here's what I'm thinking, Ezra. I think I'm going to mail you the meat back personally so you can see firsthand the type of dog food that you're peddling. Uh, that, that won't be necessary, sir. Uh, so how about we just start with your last name? Thomas. And don't even get me started on the pork. Have, have you tried the pork? Well, no, sir. I'm, I'm not much of a meat eater myself, but I hear really great things about the pork. No, so you, you don't eat pork at all? No, sir. Are you Jewish? Is, is that why you don't eat pork, Ezra? <laughs> uh, well, um, can we... What's your first name, Mr. Thomas? Ben. Ah. No order for Ben Thomas. Whoa. Hold on, what was that voice? I don't, I don't have an order for a Ben Thomas. Ezra, what was that voice? What, what voice? Are you blind? Excuse me? You're kidding me. A blind beef salesman who doesn't eat meat. <laughs> now that, that is rich. That is rich. Have you ever had sex, Ezra? <sighs> and did... Did Lawrence in accounting put you up to this? Because somehow I can't imagine the blind, vegan beef salesman having sex. Listen, I'm, I'm trying to help you, sir. You're I... trying to help me? The blind beef salesman is trying to help me. I'm actually starting to feel pretty bad for you, Ezra, because I look at my life and it is surrounded by so much beauty and you can't see. Is that fair? Does that seem fair to you, Ezra? Do you even know what color the ocean is? Do you? It's blue, sir. It's blue, sir. Say what you want to say. React. Say what you want to say to me. Thank you for calling Cheyenne Meats. That's not what you want to say, you coward. You coward. You blind. 
vegan beef salesman virgin Bye, coward. Mr. Say Thomas. what you want to say. Ken Anderson, Nicole Anderson, Allie Anderson, Ed Rice, Stephen Phillips, Monica Freeman, Sarah Jensen. Ken Anderson, Nicole Anderson, Allie Anderson, Ed Rice, Stephen Phillips, Monica Freeman, and Sarah Jensen. As we begin to unpack each one of these clips, it'll make more and more sense, but I'll start with just kind of a question as we get beyond that vivid opening. Have you ever made, just think about this to yourself, have you ever made a mistake, a big one maybe, in your life, and it was so devastating to you uh, you didn't know what you were going to do about it. You didn't know how you were going to overcome it. You didn't know how you were going to make up for it or how you can live with yourself perhaps any longer. I think there's people that could identify with that. For some, it maybe didn't even take a split second for you to surface that mistake, surface that, that um, you know, pit, that, that uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the sinkhole in your life. And, and others, maybe it's more buried. It's, 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 it's in your subconscious somewhere. It would take maybe another experience or an event to surface that particular thing in your life. But whether it's in your subconscious or whether you're very conscious of it right now, whatever that thing is, uh, it affects you every day of your life. You know, we, we are, I was saying in the first service, the sum total of our choices, our experiences, and our relationships. I think the most impactful is our relationships, but our experiences can affect us. Sometimes our experiences can define us. And it can affect you in a major way, and, and sometimes it's not something you did, it's something you didn't do, or could have, or should have done. And these events, they, 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 they manifest in outcomes, they manifest in our behaviors and with other people. And really, it's because of these hidden drivers that we do some of the things that we do. Sometimes we're not aware of these hidden drivers, but they are there. And you all know people, and you look at them, why do they do what they do? There's something Underneath the surface, there's something, as we talk about a lot of times, that connect, you know, um, beyond the dirty canvas that's bleeding through in vivid color every single day of their life. And it makes sometimes us who we are. Sometimes our experiences can shape us, good or bad. Maybe there are people in here who in the past hurt someone real bad. Uh, maybe taken advantage of someone real bad. Someone suffered real bad because of you, as a result of you, and something that you did, and they've never seemingly recovered, and, and maybe it's not quite that bad, maybe it's not, you know, uh, you know, as vivid as that, maybe, but by perception to you, it feels that way, because the perceiver, perception is reality, and so maybe it wasn't that bad by comparison to somebody else, but to you, it was that bad, and so, like the Bible says, to him is sin, it's sin, you know. And so we can value and place value on certain things, and it affects us in a major way. Maybe you didn't do something to someone or against someone else on this level, but it was on this level. It's something you did against God. Nobody knows about it, but it's affected you and your relationship with God, and as a result, it's affected all your relationships with everybody else. As my wife would say, all y'all. 
have been affected because of that relationship. And so you feel removed, you feel distant, you feel insulated and isolated from sometimes the only one that can help you, and you're separated because of this thing, this event, this experience, this mistake, and again, somehow subconsciously or consciously, that's what's going on. And so what you do, and what we do is we try to fix it. We try to make the wrong right. We try to you know, uh, you know where, we, where we went off course, we try to get back on course and, and get online again. And this, anyway, this feeling is something that I think many of us are, um, you know, sensitive to. Uh, it's common, more, may, maybe even more than we think. And that's kind of the focus of our story today. It's, it's the focus of one man's journey. Ben Thomas is his name. And he had a wonderful life that he had built from scratch, so to speak. And and then all of, all of a sudden, in a moment, he faced a tragedy. Isn't that kind of what life is like? I mean, sometimes we go along thinking that life will just go on forever the way it is, and que sera, sera, and it's all good. And, and then, you know, we, yet we can see how fast life can change just in a moment. And that's exactly what happened for him. And, and this particular tragic event altered the course and trajectory of his life. And it also, it changed his life's mission, pursuit, and purpose as well, and Today, it's all about one man's quest to make life right again. It's about one man's attempt to redeem himself from his own mistakes. I want you to check out this next clip because I want you to see, you know, how quick, you know, things can change. In seven days, God created the world. In seven seconds, I shattered mine. You are really going to need to stop looking at that thing so much. <laughs> Why? Is it going to crack? <laughs> Oh, no, I, I paid extra for the non-cracking kind. I bet you did. Benny, why just turn that off? No, it's all right. No more. No more work. No more work. I'm done. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Hello. This particular event, you know, quickly altered his life. You know, seven days, God created the heaven and earth. Seven seconds, it was, it was all over. I think it's interesting that he was using, you know, phone and texting because we all can fall prey to something like that. Yet, yet that movie was, you know, several years ago that, was, that came out. And so these seven innocent lives that you see in the opening scene on those pieces of paper, those different names that he called out, they were all snuffed out in seven seconds. And he went on a quest to try to make, those, those, make recompense for those. 
he, because of what happened, he couldn't seem to forgive himself. He couldn't release himself from the debt of those particular lives. It changed everything for him on that particular day. And the truth is, experiences like this, or similar to this, maybe not as egregious as this, can change us. Or do they? Maybe they don't change us as much as they reveal us. Sometimes it's the tests and the trials of our life that don't necessarily change us. They simply reveal who we already are. Our character, our beliefs, our constitutions and convictions all surface under duress and stress and difficulty. That's why those things need to be made beforehand so that we're ready when those things happen under those kind of circumstances. I think that's what was going on here. I think Ben's beliefs, his character and convictions weren't formed in crisis. They were actually already there. The question is, what would you do and how would you behave in a situa- situation like this? We're going to highlight what Ben did, but you've got to think about what you would do. You need to put yourself into the story. You need to put yourself into this movie. This accident revealed the belief system that Ben had, and it's a belief system that we're all familiar with, that we're all privy to, sometimes pray to, and that, that this accident revealed that man, according to Ben, is inherently evil, and he needs to pay for his wrongs. You're saying you disagree with that? That's not my point. My point is this is what Ben believed. Ben believed that man is inherently evil, and there needs to be payment for his wrongs. And he may or may not have believed in God. We don't know that from this particular movie, but what we do, what we do know from this particular movie and in these situations is he wasn't holding God responsible. He was holding himself responsible for this mistake. Now, I see that many of us come to a A point in time in our life, it's kind of like where the one-way road actually is forced. We have to split. We have to decide. We're going to go this way or we're going to go this way when it comes to trials and difficulties in our life and unfortunate circumstances and situations. Either we do one of two things. We blame God oftentimes or we blame ourselves. In this case, he didn't blame God. He blamed himself. I think these two paths are very common for us in humanity today. Hold someone else responsible or hold myself responsible. And in either case, blame doesn't really accomplish anything. And what's interesting about the blame game, especially when we point things at God, is the interesting thing is only he's the only one that can help us. The only one sometimes that we're running from is the only one that sometimes we should run to. But he wasn't blaming God for anything. That would, again, in his case, in his situation, he felt like that would be the easy way out. Instead, he held himself responsible for these seven lives, innocent lives that were killed uh, in seven seconds, were in essence slowly killing him. And I think maybe there are people here in a situation like that. We're, we're sometimes like the walking dead. We don't, we don't realize what's affecting us, but something from our past is slowly killing us in our present. And after this tragedy, Ben went on a search to find any, if there's anyone good on earth. Interesting, that's what God does. He searches the whole earth looking for anybody who would love him and seek him, not necessarily good and he looks for them, and Ben's looking for these people, and what he did was he went on a quest to find people, and then he would test their worth or their, their, their valor or, or their virtue, and, and he, would, he would determine whether they were qualified to be redeemed by him in some way. And they had to be, interestingly enough in this movie, innocent. They had to be pure. Isn't it interesting that this movie can depict something that we all know is that, that in order for something bad to be paid for, it has to be redeemed by something that is pure and that is innocent. The same is true in the economy of God as Christians. And this is what Ben went to do. And, and he, he did this not to just redeem them, but to redeem himself. And this was Ben's quest to redeem himself from his own sin. And I think there's, there's something in man that inherently knows that our mistakes require a sacrifice to be made. 
some kind of payment for our mistakes, that sin requires that. There is a consequence for sin requires a payment for sin. And in Christianity, we have a really common word for it. We call it works. And this is important for you to know as a Christ follower, somebody who's seeking more information regarding Christianity is that we're not saved by works, we're saved for works. We're not saved by good works, we're saved for good works. But Ben believed that it was necessary to do good works to offset the bad works that he had done. And he couldn't have been further from the truth. In Romans 6.23, in your notes it says, work hard for sin your whole life and your pension's death. In other words, you keep trying to do it on your works, you're ultimately going to be separated. But God's gift is real life. Everybody say real life. Eternal life. Delivered by one person, Jesus, our master. And we all know and see portrayed in this message that only something innocent, again, can redeem something that's impure or or sinful. But it's in our DNA from God. We know that. But Jesus, again, or God, really the Father, provided a solution through His Son, Jesus, to redeem us. In 1 John 2, uh, this, this verse isn't in your notes, but the second verse is. 1 John 2, 1, it says, My dear children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. He's saying, please don't sin. But if ye sin, knowing we will, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus. He's the only one advocate. It means substitute. He's the only one that can stand in the gap for you when you sinned or when you failed. And he says, not for your sins only, but for the sins of, he says, he is the propitiation for your sins. And not for your sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. It says, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sin. Not for just us, but for the entire world. One person made that possible. But Ben didn't see that. Ben didn't accept that. And so he sought out seven people who could redeem the seven lives. In other words, Ben lived under an old covenant, an Old Testament. He believed in the whole whole idea of eye for an eye, a life for a life. And again, we all relate to that. But that's an old deal. We have a new deal, frankly. We have a better deal in Christ. Amen? And so through an unusual set of circumstances, as we go to our next clip, he would find a way to determine if these individuals you know, had the virtue necessary, the worth necessary, and he would try to reveal if it was there through some tests and some circumstances. I want you to see when he goes to a hospital how he kind of surfaces the truth in a particular individual. Check this out. Hi, my name is Ben Thomas. I'm here to see Stuart Goodman. Inez, look at me, please. Inez, I'm speaking to you. I understand you refused to take your meds again this afternoon. Is that true? No, no, no. Let's try using your words this time, okay, Inez? I mean, this silent treatment isn't doing anybody any good. Inez, how can we help you if you... Okay, how about I come back tomorrow? And see if you've changed your mind, okay? Madam. I thought I was coming to your office today. Uh, yes, I was in the neighborhood. I thought I'd uh, stop by, save you the drive. Terrific. Let's go talk in my office, yeah? I take a no-nonsense approach. I mean, I cut the operating cost of this place over 17% last year alone. I'm sure that made him happy. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Now, if I could only get my own personal finances in that kind of shape, I wouldn't have you sitting here. No offense. Got your new Beamer out front? 
Ben, I mean, when I found out that my bone marrow transplant wasn't successful... I'm well aware of your ongoing medical condition. Things aren't looking very promising for me. Look, I have a bonus coming in January. I just really need this six-month extension. <laughs> really, I mean, I am doing the very best I can here, I promise you. myself out. Uh, I'll be in touch. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, this way everybody wins, right? if you don't want to speak to me either um, but I, I would really like to just have a, a moment of your time I'm trying to figure out what kind of man Stuart Goodman is. It is within my power to drastically change his circumstances. But I don't want to give that man a gift that he doesn't deserve. I need you to tell me whether or not he is a good person. gives me makes me dizzy I want a new one well, that sounds very reasonable Inez what else you can trust me what else Inez Is he punishing you? How is he punishing you, I know. Where are you going? Where's the washroom? 
to the right. Is there a problem? Give her a bath right now. Absolutely. Thank you. Ben, I think you have the wrong impression here. I'm going to stop by from time to time. Make sure you're showing these people respect. This is a misunderstanding, okay? Don't treat people like that. Let me explain, okay, Ben? I'm not giving you an extension. Ben! I'm not giving you anything. I almost believed you. I almost believed you. There's, there's something in every one of us that, that knows of some really good people out there, and there's some really bad people, aren't there? And, you know, in this, in this reality where you know there's some good people, there's some really bad people, there's also something inside each one of us that believes that the bad people need to suffer. They deserve to suffer. It's a natural assumption, you know? And this man that's depicted in this particular movie is nobody's favorite. You know, he's a weasel. You know, it, 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 he, he, he's trying to milk everything he can out of the system, get everything he can for himself, and, and, and he'll do anything to do it. Break laws, cheat, steal, hide, take advantage of people, etc. You, you can just see it. You can just feel it. And what's interesting about this particular scenario is Ben wasn't going to have it. So here he is in the office with this guy, and he's playing judge of this man while at the same time he's judging himself. Which, by the way, you can't be judge of others and judge of yourself. That's God's role. And, and this effort, the reality is, and what I like to do is point out contrast, this particular idea leads to certain disappointments. This assumption that bad people deserve to suffer and good people don't leads to certain uh, disappointments. And, and because here's, here's, a, here's a contrasting point. God's word says in Romans 3.23, we all miss the mark. We're all sinners. And, and what happens is, is one sin weighs the same as a thousand. Hear, hear me out on this. The problem is we sometimes are comparing ourselves to others. And it gets us in a lot of trouble. And we start categorizing and qualifying and justifying our behaviors because we're comparing to someone else. It will never end and it always leads to disappointment. We should never be comparing ourselves as Christians to each other. We should be comparing ourselves to God. And when we compare ourselves to God, Romans 3.23 makes sense. All fall short of the glory of God, the perfection, the majesty, the purity of God. If I had a glass of water up here and I put it on the table, it, clear, pure, Poland spring water, whatever, and I drop just one little bit of poison in that water, that, that water is corrupted by that one little drop. One drop, a thousand drops, it's corrupted, uh, contrasted against the purity of that water. And a lot of times we're not contrasting ourselves against the purity and perfection of God. We're contrasting ourselves against different levels of purity with other people. And that gets us in trouble. And that's what Ben was doing. It's, it's understandable, it's common, but it's detrimental and it's dangerous. And Ben didn't see through God's eyes. He saw through his own eyes. And instead, he continued on his quest of redemption. And he met several other people that he determined again, he determined he found worthy of grace, worthy of a certain degree of favor, worthy of his intervention. And, and get this, what's interesting about what he was doing, again, judge of others while judging himself, Ben goes on this quest to find these people that he feels and deems are worthy of his intervention. And he is... Um, for your information, a successful aeronautical engineer, very successful businessman. Well, of course, his life changed in that seven seconds in the opening scene. And then his mission changed. And so he, he, his brother worked for the IRS. 
And so he steals his, he steals his brother's ID and basically job description and poses as a modern-day tax collector. Now, I don't know what you know about the Bible, but, but basically, I'm not saying this. I'm just saying this is, what is, this is what commonly understood at the time. But there were sinners in the Bible, and then there were tax collectors. The lowest of the low, because the tax collectors that used to collect taxes, were, they were collecting taxes from their own people, and that's why they were seen as the lowest of the low. And so it was common then, as it is now, was to categorize people and put certain place value on who's the worst and who's better than somebody else. And comparison has been around for centuries, for centuries. And so that's what he did. And so he's on the lowest of the low in this particular food chain of sin, and he proceeds to interview and intervene seven different individuals with an unfortunate set of circumstances or some difficult things that are going on, a poor quality of life, maybe some health issues, and, 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 and maybe they, they, they wouldn't have a full and fulfilled life, and they would end it prematurely. And in this next clip, we're just going to highlight one of the people that he encounters among many uh, to try to help. And I think many of you will identify with this particular scene. You either know someone, you, you, you might have had someone in your family who wrestled with this particular situation. You might be someone in this situation, and nobody knows it. But he comes in contact with this particular woman. He does some research to try to find out who she is, um, who is in a home where she's being abused. And she's trapped, which many people in abuse feel. They feel like they're in prison. They're in bondage. They're in slavery. And he makes an offer to her that she initially refuses and then ultimately, she decides to change her mind. Check this next clip out. Hello. Hi. Uh, Connie Tapos? Yes. My name is Ben Thomas. I'm uh, with the IRS. IRS, but I always pay my taxes. Yes, uh, th this is a more of a general inquiry. I don't understand. Puedo pasar? No, 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 ahora no, porque mi novia no está aquí. Es muy, muy importante para su familia. ¿Para mi familia? Sí. Niños. Saluda. Beautiful. Gracias. Sientes. ¿Qué what are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. No, I have no idea what you're talking about. Niños, vengan, vengan a su cuarto. Todo está bien. No, no va a regresar, mi amor. No te preocupes. Ustedes se quedan aquí encerrados. No pasa nada, mi amor. No te preocupes. You said you were from the IRS, but you're lying to me. No. You're not telling me the truth. Who sent you here? Siéntate, por favor. No, no me voy a sentar, ¿sabes? Cálmase, cálmase. No, tampoco me voy a calmar. 
You come into my house, you talking to me about mi caso y mi boyfriend? ¿Qué sabes tú? ¿Quién te mandó aquí? Nadie. ¿Nadie? Bueno, pues salgas inmediatamente. Ahora, sálgase de mi casa. Fuera de mi casa, por favor. confiar en mí? No, no confío en nadie, señor Thomas. En nadie. Hable con Hallie. Hable con Hallie. Y te puedo sacar de aquí. Lejos. A un lugar seguro. Un lugar hermoso. ¿Por qué? ¿Por qué hablaste con Hallie? Your children are in danger here. No hable de mis niños, señor Thomas. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't have to live like this. I can help you. I'm trying. You don't know me. Get out of my house now. I'm gonna call the police. Okay. Who are you? Okay. Here. I want you to take my. I don't need your help. You to take my card, and you can call me. I don't need it. I'm gonna leave it right here. Okay. Muchas gracias. Salgas ahora. You're not helpless. Can you just leave my house? This is my house. Get out of my house right now. Por favor, piénselo. Salga. Adiós. Muchas gracias. I Hey, Connie. Well, I don't know what I'm calling you, but I'm calling you. Um, you say you're gonna help us and uh, can you really help us? This just doesn't make any sense. What if he finds us? He won't. But what makes you feel Stop so it. sure you don't know him? Stop it. Don't be weak. Don't be weak. Take this. Take it. You're gonna start this car. And you're gonna go. This is real. And this is gonna be your new life. Do you understand? Yes. One of our biggest obstacles, I think, in moving forward in our life and forgiving ourselves or moving past our past is is, you know, is, is believing that it's possible to have a new life and a new start. You understand what I'm saying, everybody? Like, it's one of the biggest things that really kind of, the hindrances sometimes that we have. And so here's Ben Thomas. He's offering her a new life, a new beginning. And her initial response is, you know, you know what is this all about? What's the catch? You know, uh, you know fear, shame. Uh, victimization, you know, give, gave him the Heisman, get out of my house. And yet, yet, yet there was a gift that was right there at her door. In order for her to actually receive that gift and to be able to move forward and receive grace and receive that favor and that intervention from Ben, she, she had to cry out in desperation. I don't know, you know, why I'm calling you, but I'm calling you. And the Bible says that those that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I submit to you that that call isn't like, you know, well, let's just see, you know, whatever. I submit to you it's, it's a desperate cry. I submit to you it's, I can't do it on my own. I submit to you that it's, uh, I'm not going to be able to make it another day. The way my life is going is going to lead down a really, really bad path. I, I'm, I'm willing to risk it all to, to start over, to have a new life. I don't think anybody really gets saved 
until they realize they're drowning. And there's a lifeguard, and he's walking the beach. And there's a lifeguard that came and knocked on her door. And I submit to you there's a lifeguard in our life that's just waiting for us to accept that gift. For her to get out of the bondage and the slavery that she was in, she had to believe that it was possible to change. And it was. And new life was just around the corner for her. And so he offered her a new life, a new beginning, a new home. And she accepted that, that gift. Was the gift paid for in advance? Yes. Did the gift have a price tag to it? No. The gift was free. And that's exactly how it is with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. And what he offers is, way, is, is priceless. It has way more benefits that we can even talk about today and this morning, but he, Jesus, purchased all of that for you and for me, and he wants to help you move on and move forward and break free and break away from the different things in your life that are holding you back. The question is, would you take a gift like that if it was offered to you? And I submit to you, it has been. It has been. In John 10.10, it says, but I came, Jesus speaking, that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Jesus came so you could live a better life now and a life with him forever. That's why he came. There was one person that Ben met that was nearly a game changer for him. And the, the movie eventually centers around a connection that he has between a, 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 a new love interest. And her name was Emily Sposa. Emily Sposa was this beautiful woman. And she had a rare heart condition. Uh, she was suffering from congenital heart failure. In fact, she was on a donor list be, uh, to receive a new heart and, and go into a heart transplant. If she didn't, the, the, point, the point of the, the movie is if she didn't, at any moment she could die if she didn't get a new heart. And so she's just living every, life, every, every single day of her life just wondering, you know, would this be the moment? Would this be the second? Would it be the minute that my heart would stop? What a tremendous stress that she had upon her. And Ben, he observes her through a set of circumstances. And in one of the places is in the hospital. He goes and he watches her. And he, he, and he, he kind of stalks her a little bit, her behaviors. And he endeavors to eventually meet up with her at her home because while she's um, waiting for this heart on this donor list, and she was uh, kind of low on the list, um, bills are piling up, and circumstances are getting worse, and it's harder for her to function, and so he goes and visits her at her home to determine, in this next clip I want you to see this, his goal was to try to determine if she was a good person or not. Check out this next clip. So you cook it all ahead of time, I see. Uh, no, actually, I can't remember the last time I cooked. This is my sister's way of looking out for me from afar. Do you have any siblings? Yes, one brother. He's a he's a good egg. Yeah, I just have the one sister too. Are you receiving income from any source that the government's currently unaware of? Well, lately I've been taken to diving in local wishing wells, so. I mean, but it's just occasional dimes here and there, or once in a while, a quarter. No, actually, um, I had to refinance this place to pay my past due medical bills. I've been informed that you suffer from congenital heart failure. Yes. Uh, did you gather that while stalking me at the hospital? Uh, no, I, uh, <laughs> you're currently status two. Uh, which means you're sick enough to be on the national, you know, waiting list, but not sick enough to be admitted into the hospital and placed on status one. So basically, if your heart starts to fail quickly and no donor can be located, you're screwed. 
Mm-hmm. Is it true that you said that you do not believe that you even deserve a heart because your life is unremarkable in every way? I'm sorry. Um, I don't know why I said that. I'm sorry. Do you have to take any type of um, sensitivity training to join the IRS, Mr. Thomas? No, not really. Yeah. So you don't consider yourself a good person? How would you answer that question if I asked you the same? Unremarkable would be an upgrade for me, I assure you. I'm gonna freeze your accounts as uncollectible until further notice. I'm sure that'll buy you five or six months penalty free. Here's my card. If anyone from the IRS tries to contact you, you call me immediately. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Mr. Thomas. Yes. Um. I get the feeling you're doing me a really big favor right now. Because I get the feeling that you really deserve it. Interesting dialogue between the two of them. You know, I'm trying to find out if you're a good person, Emily. And Emily poses a question right back at him and says, you know, if I asked you the same question, how would you answer that? You know, to our, our linear minds, our mortal minds, it makes sense to, to, to basically reward people who are good people, to help people, bless people, give favor and grace to people, find good people who deserve it and give that to them. And, but it, it doesn't account for several things. That whole, how good is good enough, are you good Answering that question, it's, it's a very difficult question to answer. It doesn't account for everything because it's really not equitable. In other words, who gets in the good graces of God? On what standard? On what you know, set of circumstances? What's, what grade is good enough? Oh, a 69 would be a fail, but 70 is good. You got a 70. How did you determine that? How did you come up with that grade? How do I know? How good is good enough? So she puts the question right back at him. But it's understandable to think good people, you know, should be rewarded or should be blessed or should have the intervention or help from others. But who decides? The approach that good people can be redeemed is actually unfair. You know why? Because it produces, again, this perspective of comparison. And it's based on keeping rules, not on actually having relationship. Because we can, none of us can keep all the rules. None of us can actually meet the standard. None of us can actually pass and get the best grade. In fact, it's the, it's the rules, or we could say parallel, similar to the law, that is actually supposed to lead us to truth. 
Law is not supposed to be cre- be create an opportunity for us to meet the standard for truth. Law was there to point us to the fact that we need to be, in, in, not in rules, but in relationship with someone who already met all the standards and all the rules. Does that make sense? Galatians chapter 3, it's in your notes, verse 24 and 25. It says, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified not by what we do, but by faith in what was done. Justified means just as if you never sinned. Justified by faith, not by works. So now faith has come. We are no longer under the supervision of the law. So in the Old Testament that Ben was living under, that that, that was the supervision of the law. You have to do this, an eye for an eye, a life for a life. You have to, everything has to be paid for. In the New Deal, it's already been paid for. We're justified not by rules, but by relationship with him who made and, and paid and met all the standards and all the rules. Does that make sense? So in that system that compares one man's sins to another, another problem with it is it excludes a lot of people from being actually redeemed because only good people can be redeemed and so bad people can't be redeemed. Or people with unfortunate or bad circumstances can't be redeemed. It actually seems uh, like merciless to people who have been born into a situation they had no control of. What about those people? But he has no redemptive process for those who fail or those who fall or those who want to get back up. There'd be no prodigals. There'd be no restoration, reconciliation. There'd be no comeback stories if it was only good people. Interestingly enough, many in the world see God as a merciless God, mad God. But the truth is he came actually to save not just good people, all people, everyone. And because... If we get and see things right, we'll realize we're all sinners that need to be saved. God, in response to the sins of man in a cursed world that he didn't, is not responsible for in his infinite wisdom, provided a solution to save us all. And Ben couldn't see that. And so he tried to employ his own solution. And so he showed favoritism to certain people while excluding other people that God actually cares about and loves. And in Romans, it tells us, for God does not show favoritism in Romans chapter 2. But unbeknownst to the rest of the world, Ben is he's on this mission. And actually, he, he brings his best friend into this particular mission. And he designs kind of his ultimate exit strategy to redeem himself before he leaves this world. And in a kind of uncharacteristic salvation, uh, he, he, um, he has this plan. And it's a, he, he, but while this plan is being employed and he's brought his best friend in, you'll see him in the final scene, his best friend will be crying there. He's temporarily sidetracked by his love interest with Emily. And what happens is he, he just, he falls head over heels for her. And he's thinking to himself, how can I give my heart to someone whose heart is dying, whose heart is, is broken? And, and a dilemma ensued for him. I love her. I want to give my heart to her, but she needs a new heart. So how do I love her the way she needs to be loved? And I want to interject that that's God's dilemma with humanity. That God wants to give his heart totally to humanity. But, but man's heart is desperately wicked and sinful. The Bible tells us that. Who can know it? Only God can know it. And, and what's interesting is, and you think about this in your own life, what happens when you give your heart to someone and they don't love you back? How does that make you feel? It hurts bad if you've ever done it before. But what true love is, true love is not expecting reciprocity, not waiting for that to come back your way. Real love is you love someone even if they don't or can't love you back. That's real love. Can I have an amen out there? Real love is loving someone who can't or maybe unable to love you back. That's what we do with our kids initially, and eventually they love us back, or we hope they do. 
and pray that they do. You know, they'll rise to call mom blessed or, or honor their father and mother. We pray for that. But, it, but it's in its purest love definition, giving yourself for the one you love, expecting nothing in return is what love is all about. And that's exactly what Christ did in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. We see that. He demonstrated. He showed. He modeled that for you and me. He gave everything, everything for you and me. Even while we were sinners, rejecting him. And eventually his relationship between Ben and Emily, it grew to a point of no return, and he looked one evening at her and just totally in love with her, and he realized there's no way to fix this dilemma unless he does something drastic. And I want you to see what that was. Check this out. Room number two. What's the emergency? There's been a suicide. Who's the victim? I am.
So in seven days, God creates the earth. Seven seconds, his life's changed forever. And ultimately, he gives a seven-pound heart to save the woman, you know, that he loved. And it's romantic, and it's powerful, and it's selfless, and it's sacrificing. And it was really the only solution that, you know, he could see for saving himself and saving her in the end, giving all he had for her. What's interesting, you don't know if you watch the rest of the movie, he gave parts of himself to save people. He, he gave his eyes for Ezra. He gave bone marrow for a little boy, his kidney to a hockey coach, his liver to another person, a girl, and his lungs to uh, one of his lungs to his brother. And he did all this to try to redeem himself from his past mistakes. It's kind of crazy. It's, well, it's powerful and, and, and romantic. It's, it's crazy. Think about it. He gave part of himself. If you take it all the way to its furthest extreme, which we have to do sometimes with the truths we choose to espouse and believe, he, took, if he gave all of himself so people could live a little bit longer in hopes that he would redeem himself and his soul forever. As compassionate and as selfless as you may think this movie is, sometimes we never stop to think that Jesus did so much more, like way more than Ben Thomas did. He loved us so much deeper. He loved us so much more fully, more sacrificially. In John 15, 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And there are some takeaways I want to give you today if you care to take notes as we conclude. Number one, Ben gave part of himself so they could live longer, a little longer, maybe a little better. But Jesus gave all of himself so we could live better now and with him forever. Can I have an amen out there? Ben ultimately gave his seven-pound heart for someone good, but Jesus gave his heart for sinners. People rejected him, despised him, spit on him, insulted him, still rejecting him even to this day. He still gave his life for that. Whether you believe that he was the Son of God or not, there was a man named Jesus, and he got on the cross, and he believed he was dying for the sins of humanity. I chose to believe he died for my sins. Ben also died for one person who needed a new heart. But the truth is we all have congenital heart failure. You have to decide if you have congenital heart failure. You believe that. And does it need to be healed? Jesus died for us all. And we all desperately need a new heart. And to follow him out of love, not of, out, of, out of obligation. In Romans chapter 5, I believe there's no sacrifice greater than the one that Jesus gave. In Romans chapter 5, verse 7, it basically says this. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. Ben dared to die for, for, for Emily. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us all. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath the punishment or consequence through him. For if when we were God's enemies, separated from him, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life because he rose from the grave? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Can I have an amen out there again? We can't redeem ourselves is the reality of this particular message. We can't redeem ourselves from our past, our current mistakes, or our future mistakes. No matter how much we could give of ourselves, it's not enough. It would only give something temporary. It can't do something that is eternal because we are temporary. 
Our works cannot pay for our past sins. And if one person can kind of ruin it all for us, the truth is one person can make it all right, but only one perfect person can make it right. And Jesus did that for you and me. In Romans 5, it says, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass, speaking of the first Adam in Genesis chapter 3, was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness. Everybody say one act. One act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men, not just good men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the disobedience of the one man, many were made righteous. The good news is you don't have to pay for your sins because Jesus paid for them already. Amen. Can you stand to your feet and just give the Lord a big hand clap all over the place for that? God paid for your sins, past, the present, the future. You can't redeem yourself. He redeemed you. Amen. Amen. We love you, God, and we praise you for that in Jesus' name. I would just love it if you would just give God just a moment of your time. If you would just close your eyes for just a second. I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. There may be a a man or woman, a boy or girl, sir or ma'am, someone here today, and God has been speaking to you through this message. You may have had convictions or beliefs or certain core values in your heart that you've been carrying with you for a long time. You might be one of those people that's been blaming God or maybe blaming yourself and you're trying to maybe pay for your mistakes. Certain hidden drivers are affecting the way that you're living your life and you've come to the realization today through a modern parable that you cannot save yourself, that only Jesus can save you. And just like Ben proposed an opportunity to that woman who was living in that abusive situation, I have something for you. Will you accept it? And she initially rejected, but ultimately she received it in desperation. Maybe you're here today and you're realizing your situation is desperate. There's a, there's a bondage in your life. There's abuse in your life. Maybe not physically, maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's circumstantial, financial, relational. You can't fix it. But Jesus is standing at the door like Ben was standing at the door of this particular woman and he's knocking and he's saying, please take my card, please call me. Call me if you need me. I'm saying that the Holy Spirit may be calling you today. He may be saying, please, call me. If you're here today, the Bible says anyone who call upon the name of the Lord will be, shall be saved. But you got to do it in desperation. you got to say, I can't save myself. I can't do it without you. And all the other things that are going on in your life, all the circumstances that these people faced, they were blind and they had physical issues and they had... Uh, financial issues, those pale in comparison to the spiritual issue, the bankruptcy of one's soul. You are empty and lost without a Savior. And if you realize that you need a Savior today to rescue you, good and high, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you in the middle there. Thank you, sir. Thank you all the way in the back. I see you two young ladies. Thank you. All the way in the back. Two gentlemen way at the back. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen at the back. Thank you. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Amazing. Put your hand on your heart. Everybody, would you just join me as we pray? Please honor the person to your right or to your left by just keeping this sober and somber. Um, just pray this with me. And those of you that raise your hand, this is the day of salvation for you. This is, this is a new beginning. This is more than just, we, we, didn't, we didn't go to the movies. We came to church to meet Jesus. This is an invitation that you've accepted. And he's made it plain to you. He's made it relevant to you. He's not made it difficult for you to, to come to him. And that's what he does. That's the point. And so if, you're, if, you, if that's you and you know it's you, and those of you who've done this before, would you please join them and say, Jesus, I can't pay for my sins. I, I accept your deal. You paid for them. I accept righteousness 
not based on mine, but yours. What you accomplished 2,000 years ago was for everybody, and that includes me. I want a new life, a new beginning. I want a new heart today. Make me a new creature, new creation in Christ. Not in rules, but in relationship. Save me. Come into my life and save me. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord the biggest hand clap. Sinners have come home. People have got saved. Come on, church. We love you, Lord. Amen. Woo.